Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Ariana Prail. A new investigation by Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting analyzed more than 5 million paycheck protection program loans, finding stark inequity in the rate of lending in majority Asian, Black, or Latinx areas compared with majority white neighborhoods. We'll get the details. Then... Rapper and producer Gregory Jacobs, also known as Shock G of Bay Area hip-hop group Digital Underground, was laid to rest on Saturday after passing away April 22nd at the age of 57. We'll look back at his life and legacy. That's all next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. Last year, Reveal, along with 10 other news organizations, sued the Small Business Administration for access to Paycheck Protection Program loan data. The records were released by court order in November, and Reveal is the first to report how the PPP loans were distributed, revealing some stark racial inequities. Here with us to talk about the reporting is Emily Harris, reporter and producer for Reveal with the Center for Investigative Reporting. Welcome to Forum, Emily Harris. Hi, hi, thanks for having me. So tell us what happened here, kind of the big headline of what you uncovered in your reporting. Right. So we looked at the PPP loans that were distributed in 2020, the the, the, the first year that it happened, the, the first year of the coronavirus, um, and $525 billion were distributed in 2020 alone. The program's gone on, and we can talk about that later. There's some changes that have been made. But what we did was look at where the loans landed. And we looked at this by neighborhood for several different reasons, one technical and one really because that's where an important piece of, of news and understanding of this is. Um, um, so we we took all the loans and we we put their addresses. Uh, the, the loans are now public data since we and other news groups sued for them. We took the addresses, we geocoded them, and we mapped them, and we overlaid this on census tract information, so at the neighborhood level um, of what the majority race of a neighborhood is. And what we found was consistent. And in some cases, very stark discrepancies between how many businesses, what percentage of businesses in majority white areas got PPP loans compared to areas where the majority race is not white, Asian, Latinx or black. And and part of that methodology is because you report that the Treasury Department and small business 
Small Business Administration initially eliminated a standard demographic questionnaire from the PPP application. So you had to to create this other route for doing that. Is Was that kind of a, a normal thing for them to have eliminated that? Was that... Why do you think that happened? You know, it's really interesting because we often think about discrimination on a individual level. Was this person, this individual person discriminated against based on the color of their skin or their ethnicity or their religious background or their language, the different protected classes. But in this case, we didn't have access to the data of of the uh, demographics of the individual business owners. I don't know why the Trump administration didn't in- include that in the loan. It's a very, st- in the loan application, it's, a, it's actually standard small business administration loan practice to include a form. It's, it's requesting demographic information. It's not requiring it, but they make it very much a part of the loan in general. And that's where we got get a lot of information like in, in, in housing lending and mortgage lending. That kind of information is collected routinely. And then we can see where patterns of discrimination happen individually. So we didn't have that individual information. So that is one of the, that's the technical reason that we looked at it at a community level. But the, the, the reason that it's important also to look at the community level is because of historic discrimination also follows neighborhood patterns. And so what we big picture uh, revealed is that structural inequities you know, continue a legacy from long time ago practices um, that haven't been completely eradicated, like redlining. And, and this kind of thing continues to affect communities of color. And so where did you see these inequities surfacing? Was it across the board? Was it particular areas? We looked at cities metro areas rather that have over a million people. And um, one of the interesting things is if you look at this kind of data in the aggregate, what you get across the United States is that the vast majority of census tracts or neighborhoods are white majority. So when you look at the big picture, the discrepancies seem much less. But when you look in um, neighborhoods and you look in cities where there actually is a diverse enough population to show up in census numbers as a neighborhood, then you start to see really stark discrepancies. Los Angeles had some of the starkest discrepancies that we found um, in Los Angeles. The um, the percentage of businesses in majority white areas that got loans was uh, about 60%, twice the rate, excuse me, that was a specific neighborhood in a story in the story that we did that followed three neighborhoods in LA, but it was overall about twice the rate um, of majority uh, in businesses in majority white areas got loans at about twice the rate in Los Angeles as majority Latinx areas and about one and a half times the rate um, of businesses in majority black areas. In the San Francisco area, again, yeah, majority white area, majority, the, the San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley area, right, the whole Bay area, um, majority white tracks got loans at about 40 businesses in majority white tracks got loans at about 42%. And in majority Latinx, for example, it was less than half of that. And what were some of the stories uh, that you saw coming out of this reporting of why um, or what they experienced, what the um, business owners of color experienced? Yeah, it ranged uh, quite a lot from um outright rejection and just not being able to break through in the initial rush of money um, and to distrust of banks and not understanding that these this loan program was really a, um, a, a grant program, essentially, because it was set up to be a forgivable loan. Um, so mistrust of banks and fear of of getting into debt um, and, and not understanding that this loan would actually you know, be forgiven. For example, um, 
at the very beginning, the program of the PPP program was put into place very quickly by Congress. And it was the rules were written very quickly by the Small Business Administration. And there was a limited amount of money. And there was a big rush on that because that was last April when nobody knew what was going to happen. Um, in researching this later, a Congressional Select Subcommittee um, put out a very critical report on how the Small Business Administration implemented the program. They found that the American Bankers Association um, were told in a call with Treasury officials that they should they should direct their PPP lending to existing business customers. And what that does is if you work with your existing customers, banks argued that it sped up the process and they were desperately trying to get money out to businesses as quickly as possible. But if you, if you uh, focus your lending in an emergency situation on existing customers, you leave out customers that you don't have, people who have not built a relationship with banks. And there's evidence over the years that um, Black business owners and Latinx business owners don't have um, the same kind of banking relationships that white business owners did. And then another big piece of this was um, the program was originally designed, it is called the Paycheck Protection Program. And so it's originally designed to keep workers being paid when businesses had to shut down under orders for public health. Um, and it was designed to include sole proprietors, people who have their own small businesses, and also independent contractors who work sometimes for these small businesses and sometimes for much bigger businesses, as we know. But the the, the law specifically talked about um, sole proprietors and 96% of Black-owned businesses are sole proprietors, and something like 91% of Latinx-owned businesses are sole proprietors. But the implementation just didn't didn't work for sole proprietors. They're, they didn't necessarily have the same paperwork. They didn't necessarily have the banking relationship. They were too small to maybe get the attention or have that personal connection with a, with a, a bank. So it, a, there were a whole lot of reasons that people got left behind and it aggregated into neighborhoods getting left behind. We're talking about an investigation by Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting, finding stark racial inequity in the granting of PPP loans with Reveal reporter Emily Harris. And to you, our listeners, are you a small business owner who applied for a PPP loan? What was your experience? Or were you turned off from applying for a loan for one reason or another? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Um, so on that point that you were making with sole proprietors, um, Emily Harris, yeah, I did... Um, find that pretty interesting in your reporting also that it disadvantaged the coverage of rent and utilities versus payroll, which a lot of sole proprietors would potentially be wanting to shift that the kind of loan support toward. And those kinds of some of those things got tweaked along the way. So the program got implemented last April. Um, the first round of money ran out two weeks later. The rules were already being rewritten um, to accommodate more things like um, like uh, utilities and um, rent, although parts of those, I believe, were included allowable in the in the beginning. They it, in in later reenactment, uh, excuse me, in later rewrites and updates, you were even allowed to um, use the money for things like. Um, destruction of property uh, because of protests that was added to the law. And then different things have changed to make it easier 
in 2021 for small proprietors, sole proprietors to apply. But some of the stories you asked about the people, I mean, for example, we met a, um, a barber, um, Daniel Sanchez in Los Angeles, who um, just didn't want to get in debt. He didn't trust banks. He didn't realize that this was forgivable. He had ex, um, extra costs because of COVID because he couldn't take walk-ins anymore. He um, had to buy extra supplies. Like he couldn't, you know, reuse a plastic cape that you would use for cutting hair. So his costs went up, but he, and his business went down and he didn't even realize that this kind of loan would be available for him. So he didn't even apply. Then we also met a um, woman, a grandma, she's um, 72 years old and she's a black woman and has helped her granddaughter start a dance studio. Her granddaughter is um, in her twenties now. And it's like, was her dream. She was a dancer. It was her dream to open a dance studio that was affordable for kids in the neighborhood where she grew up in, which is a black majority neighborhood in Los Angeles. And um, the grandmother who, who's the business manager for the, for the, for the company, she first applied for a PPP loan from her bank, Bank of America. They said no. Um, for whatever reason, she doesn't know. They were Bank of America was overwhelmed with applications, certainly as all major banks were at the beginning. Um, she wound up getting a different kind of small business administration loan. It's an emergency loan that's available all the time. This is a thing that predates COVID, but in an emergency, this is a low interest loan that's available to, to small business owners. So she applied and she got that, but here's the thing. She's got a 30 year note on this loan. And so she's the way she puts it, she's like, you know, her granddaughter is going to be paying this back after she dies. And that's, that's what she got stuck with in the end because she couldn't access this forgivable money. So she got a loan with interest. It's a, it's a low interest rate, relatively speaking, 3.75. But nonetheless, um, that's what she was left with. Hmm. We're talking with Emily Harris, reporter with Reveal at the Center for Investigative Reporting, about their latest reporting, finding stark racial inequity in the granting of PPP loans. And we want to hear from you, our listeners. Are you a small business owner who applied for a PPP loan? What was your experience? Or were you turned off from applying for a loan for one reason or another? Are you a sole proprietor? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We'll have more after the break. I'm Ariana Prail, and this is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Ariana Prail. We're talking about an investigation by Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting, finding stark racial inequity in the granting of PPP loans with Reveal reporter Emily Harris and with you, our listeners. So let's go to a caller. Alex in Mountain View, you're on. Hi, I just had a question about, uh, it seems to be there's a conclusion that there was deliberate discrimination in neighborhoods of color, but I don't see how that can be 
a conclusion when you don't examine how many loans were actually applied for in those neighborhoods of color. If, if the application rate was really low, it would be expected that the outcomes of loans granted would be really low, too. Emily Harris. Yeah, that's a great point. And no, this the conclusion is not that there was deliberate discrimination. What this reveals is structural inequities in access to capital. Um, and when a crisis happens, how those uh, those those differences, those differences in access to capital get exacerbated. Um, what we looked at was was the universe of businesses, because everybody was eligible for this loan in principle, right? So small businesses, it wasn't just restricted to types of businesses. The assumption at that time was nobody knew what was going to happen. And the cliff in front of businesses was immense and across the board um, because it was so uncertain. So we looked at um, the businesses, number of businesses in an area, including including self-employed people, which would cover uh, sole proprietors and and, and uh, independent contractors. And um, then we looked at the, where the PPP loans uh, fell there. And the reason that that's important is because it captures the difficulty in getting an application in. Um, banks have said that if you, they didn't provide data to back this up, but they have said that their records show that um, once you look at the applications, the um, the uh, rate of granting loans across census tracts is is proportionate to uh, to the racial makeup of census tracts. I haven't seen that data, so I can't comment on how valid that is. But what we were looking at is how accessible was this money to people, and that's why it's important to take in the people who didn't get an application in, didn't think this applied to them, and so may have not applied for that reason. And that's why it's a more holistic look. But it's not it's not a statement of uh, we were. We don't conclude that this was intentional discrimination. What this reveals is more the things that are built in um, that obstruct equal access to capital generally, and then what happens in an emergency when you're building on that kind of system. Hmm. Thank you for that comment, Alex. And we'll go next to caller Carrie in Napa. Carrie, you're on. Good morning. Thank you. I can easily agree with the idea that if one if um, One's technology skills are low, access to internet is poor, and or English isn't your first language. Getting a PPP loan for round one in particular was very difficult. It was confusing, unclear, inconsistent communication, and luckily I was persistent and able to navigate the system, but it was very poorly done, and I struggled with it. And so I can see it being very difficult and going along the lines that you're talking about in terms of inequality and inequity in terms of access to loans as a result. That's my comment. Thanks for your program. Oh, thank you for sharing your experience with us, Carrie. And does that, it sounds like that resonates with a lot of, or at least with the business owners you spoke with for your, for your report. Across the board, the first two weeks of that program was really difficult. I did reporting on this last spring as well when it was rolling out. And even even well-connected, you know, very with a with strong banking relationship businesses that I spoke to at that time had a hard time um, getting getting through through their own banks. Um, but the data over the year did did show that um, a number of um, Bigger businesses got loans, and you'll probably remember that people were giving loans back um, once it was revealed that they were not small suffering businesses. Um, 
And, but the, that rush that uh, the caller described, absolutely a universal experience. And that just gets exacerbated um, if, if, if you don't have the uh, kind of skills and, and resources um, that it sounds like she had. And also within this report, you cited a New York Federal Reserve Bank study, which found that black business ownership declined by 41 percent in the first few months of the pandemic, which is two and a half times more than white businesses, which dropped by 17 percent. Latinx and Asian business ownership also dropped at higher rates than white ownership at 32 percent and 26 percent, respectively. What possibly could have been the outcomes with a more equitable, uh, equitable approach in the beginning? Well, I don't know. That would just be pure speculation. Right. Oh, yes. We do know that money helps keep people, keep businesses alive and keep people in homes and things like that. So, um, you know, there were a lot of different ways that um, money was being distributed um, across the across the board um, um, at the early months of the coronavirus, for sure. Um, but one way to think about, for example, um, if you were only allowed to get a PPP loan through your bank, if, if banks not only allowed to, but if banks were encouraged to help their um, existing customers first, one, um, one uh, expert we quoted in the story is, compared that to the way the coronavirus um, stimulus checks were distributed they were they were just sent to you or putting your bank account um or um putting your your ssi account or whatever whatever way it wasn't like you had to be at a certain bank to get the loan so that was a comparison that that he made um that we cited in our in our reporting um but the the question of 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 how many businesses survived um based on the ownership of the of the demographics of the owner that number should probably be looked at again as well now, because that was in August and, you know, the economy has just kept on moving. And I think if we looked at that again now, we might be able to see what are the long term effects. And if those numbers got better, what happened? You know, what, where, where were the where were the ways that those business owners were able to access capital? Because it wasn't just banks that were involved in the PPP, like our traditional banks that you would think of that are chartered by the government and, and regulated in a certain way. It was also a lot of fintechs, um, which you know, technology companies online, like people were getting loans through Square, uh, through a company called Cabbage, one of the biggest lenders across the board. These um, these companies are not regulated in the same way that banks are, um, but they, uh, through technology, um, are often able to make getting loans easier and faster. And that may be something that um, that regulators are looking at in the future. What kind of what kind of service area do these financial technology companies have? And what does that mean for what kind of rules they should follow? Well, a listener tweets, another factor contributing to unequal access to PPP funds for historically marginalized small business owners that we saw in our community, Richmond, California, is the lack of language inclusivity and banking services. Then when people faced barriers with the first round, they ignored the second. Um, Again, just resonating with um, a lot of what you're sharing in your reporting. So what are we seeing happen now under the Biden administration in, um, yeah, in this latest round of loans? Um, Yeah, there's been a number of changes um, uh, in this year, 2021, to the PPP program. Um, One is they did start um, collecting demographic information with the loan application again. So we may have some 
data from this year that will look at be able to look at the distribution um, by the individual business owner. They also made a um, a time period. There was a two week period where where only small sole proprietors and very small businesses could apply. Um, and then there's been other things that aren't directly related to PPP. But for example, they are, there are some special funds that Congress has passed to help performing arts spaces and to help restaurants. And those are their own pools of money um, that people can be applying for in these weeks, as well as the PPP. Emily Harris, reporter with Reveal, the Center for Investigative Reporting, on their report, Finding Stark Racial Inequity in the Granting of PPP Loans. Thanks so much for joining us and and sharing what you uncovered. Thanks a lot, Ariana. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.